and stuff, right? Greeting as they come in the door. I kept looking for some of the middle school kids from my youth group. I kept looking for them, for, for some of the families. I mean, after all, this was all the middle school students and their families here for an orientation meeting for the middle school. And I'm looking, I'm looking as the crowd is coming through the door. And after 15 or 20 minutes or so, something struck me. What struck me was, I was at this big church in the area, and I didn't know one person from our church coming to this meeting. I sat there at the front door, and every single person that came in the room walked right in front of me. And there was not one person from our church. That got me thinking. That got me thinking. Because, see, I believe that God's tool to reach people right now is the gospel and His means is the church. It's the believers. It's the, it's the body of believers coming together to represent Christ to our world. And as I watched all these people parade by me, I was struck. We were doing a great job as a church. And there was a lot of good churches in our community. And there's a lot of people, a lot of believers that are reaching out. And many of you are here in this room, and I know you are making disciples. You are moving people along towards a relationship with Christ. And you were doing it then, and you're doing it now. Good job. But what occurred to me is this. There are plenty of people in our community to reach. We have not finished the job a decade ago. So we did a strange thing. I went to our office manager and I said, do me a favor. I want you to call every single church in Berkeley County. Call every single church. Get somebody on the phone and ask them what is the maximum capacity of their entire worship room. I don't care what kind of church it is. I don't care if it's a Baptist church, a Methodist church, a, a Pentecostal church, any kind of church there is. I don't care what the name is. You call and you find out how many people go, can fit in that worship room on a Sunday morning. She's like, really, Lowell? You want me to do that? Please, can you do that? So she did. It took a long time to find out. You know, churches don't answer phones very often. Some of the churches, we just had to just estimate. We just had to say, you know what, we never talked to anybody, but I, they probably fit 250 people. Here's what we did. Remember, my background is mathematics, okay? I was a math teacher for a few years. My undergrad is in math, so you know, I like numbers, okay? I added up all the seats of every single church in Berkeley County. Every single one. I just wanted to understand. I wanted to understand what, what the... What the situation was for our community. I got a number. Okay? Got a number. I took that number. Let's call it X, shall we? No, we won't. I took that number, okay? And I said, what if every single church had two services? So we'll have double services in every single church in Berkeley County. Let's see what that would do. So I got my calculator. Equals. Got a number. 
Would you believe that one decade ago, 10 years ago, and things haven't changed that much, 10 years ago, if every single church in Berkeley County filled their worship room to capacity and had double services, we would not reach not even one half of Berkeley County population. Can you let that sink in for a minute? Let that sink in. We were under 50,000 seats if every single seat was filled, well under 50,000. And 10 years ago, there were over 100,000 people in Berkeley County. What is it now? What is it now? Listen, folks. Our community is not reached. There are people who need Christ. You work with them. You eat with them. You hang out with them. You pass them on the street, the highway, the aisles in Walmart. You go by them every day. And see, what happens to us is, as we are believers in time, this becomes our friendship circle. You know who I hang out with? You guys. You're who I hang out with. You're who I text. You're who I email. You're who I have coffee with. That's, how, that's what happens to us. That's not wrong. But we have to understand. We have to, we have to understand another reality. Most of our community doesn't know Jesus doesn't. And we have the message. God has entrusted us with the message of Jesus Christ. And so 10 years ago, sitting in that cafeteria, sitting in that gymnasium, God worked in my heart. And I said, I need, I need to call some friends. I need to call some believers. I need to call some men of God and some women of God and say, start praying. Because I think God wants to plant a church in the Spring Mills community. And at that time, there was just a little school sitting out here in the middle of a field. Okay? We met with the principal. We walked out right out there, right outside there, Pastor Billy and I. The principal stood right out there. You know what he said? He said, you know, they tell us that there's going to be like a thousand some homes all around here. As he takes his arms over the fields, you guys, it was fields now. There, w- there weren't these houses out here. There were just a few maybe just being built. But he said, they tell us there's going to be like a thousand homes out here. He stood there. He said, just imagine the possibility of having a church here. I'll get back to you. And walked away. Mm. Little did we know. Little did we know. There were another group of believers. They lived a long time ago. You think you got it tough? You think it's hard to live for Christ in Berkeley County? This was the first century. Okay? A, a, a regular greeting in that day, a regular greeting in the first century, throughout the world that the Bible was written in, was to walk up to somebody and say, Shalom. See, the world of, of the Roman Empire had been greatly impacted by Judaism, by, by the Jewish religion, by the Bible, by the Old Testament. And so it was a regular thing for you to walk up to somebody and say, Shalom. And Shalom meant peace. And they would say back to you, and there were other ways they could respond, but the, but the greeting was Shalom. 
But what happened in the first century is this. Believers found there was no shalom. Oh, no. No, no, no. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this. You will have tribulation in this world. But don't worry, don't be upset. I have overcome. And so what happened in that first century is the governing power at that time was the Roman Empire. And there was a, there was a great leader of the Roman Empire. Domitian was his name. And he, he ruled from about 70 through about 90. And about 70, he decided that every time a, a, a Roman citizen, a, a, Roman, a person in the Roman Empire saw him, they had to respond to him as our Lord and God. You know that? You see Domitian, you have to say, our Lord and God, and you would bow down before him. Well, Christians had a problem. There's one God. And we are to know that one God and His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He has sent. And they weren't going to bow down to this Roman emperor. And that cost them greatly. They were persecuted. The Christians were persecuted and called atheists. They were thrown to the lions because they were atheists. They were wrapped up in animal skins and thrown to wild dogs because they were called atheists. They were dipped in tar and put up on poles and lit on fire to light the gardens there in Rome because they were atheists. What? They weren't atheists, were they? I thought an atheist didn't believe in God. They were called atheists because they would, because they knew that the emperor was not God. That there is one God, and He has one Son, Jesus Christ. And so they changed their word. Christians no longer said shalom. They didn't greet each other with shalom. Why? Because there, our Savior promised there would be no peace. No peace on earth till He returns. There would be tribulation. Instead, here's the greeting. Find it in your Bible. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Here's how the believers would greet one another. It'd be a great way for you to greet somebody. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It's the very last chapter of 1 Corinthians. We'll look at some of the very last verses. The year is about 55 to 60 AD. There is no peace. Not for believers. Oh, there's an inner peace. I understand that. But there is danger. And there is persecution. There's a world to reach. There's a world to reach. So Paul writes in verse 21, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. He's greeting them. He's expressing his love to them. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be cursed. And then he says, Maranatha. Our Lord come. Maranatha. Here's what that word means. It's an Aramaic word. Okay? Now, much of your Old Testament... Now, listen to what I'm getting ready to say. It's going to come back to us in just a minute. Much of your Old Testament is written in Hebrew. But there's about five chapters in Daniel that are written in Aramaic. Okay? This is an Aramaic word. Maranah. Maranah means our Lord. Our Lord. Atha. A-T-H-A is an, is an Aramaic word. And it means Come. Come. 
come. So believers who are under persecution, believers who know they have the Gospel, and when they share the Gospel, it brings persecution their way. It brings difficulty. It brings rejection at times. They greet one another this way. They say they see one another on the street and they look each other in the face and they say, Our Lord, come. Our Lord's coming. He's coming again. He's going to come. He's going to return. He's going to come again. And we're longing for that. This word Maranatha has an anticipation in it. It has a longing. It has a desire for the Lord Jesus to return. For Him to come and to rule as King and rule as Lord. Folks, this is the end game. The Lord Jesus coming is the end game. I've got a friend who says to me, you've got to keep the end in mind. You've got to know where you're going. Okay? My wife and I often joke that we should just get in the car someday and just take off driving somewhere. Okay? And not even know where you're going to go. We've done it. Don't try it, okay? You need to have directions to how to get to the zoo. Remember that story? Okay, you need to know how to get there. Keep the end in mind. Listen, Daniel saw the end. I'll put the, screen, put the verse up on the screen. Here's Daniel. The reason why I'm pulling out Daniel is we've been walking through the book of Daniel. We're going to veer off it for just a little bit today. But Daniel chapter 7, Daniel writes this. See, there's a few people in the Bible that were given a glimpse of heaven. They were allowed to see into heaven. And Daniel was one of those people. There's just a few. There's just a few. And Daniel did. He said, behold, with the clouds of heaven, he sees this vision. He's describing it. And one like a son of man, Atha. Aramaic word for is coming. Atha. One like the Son of Man is coming. Daniel, in, in 586 B.C., 500 years before Jesus came the first time, he was longing for his second time that he would come. The Son of Man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days. Who's the Ancient of Days? That is God. Daniel now, as the Spirit of God has worked in his life, he is now seeing a glimpse into the throne, the very throne room of God. He sees a sight that no living man has ever beheld. It will be described for us in just a minute that people saw in a vision, an individual saw as God's Spirit allowed him to see it, but no man has been there, no unredeemed man. And this Son of Man... Who, as we read it in context, we see he is divine. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah, Daniel would have called him. He approaches the Ancient of Days and he is presented before him. This is the end game, folks. Today, as Centerpoint Bible Church celebrates our beginning, I want to celebrate our end. I want to celebrate our never ending end. I want us to look to the end where Jesus is throned. Where Jesus is given all authority. He is, now receives the world back. It is restored. Eden is made new. All creatures now worship. All people now redeemed. 
process is finished. You need to know. Next slide, please. You need to know that the, the Bible has much to say about this. Much to say. I mean, I'm just giving you a couple of these verses just for sake of time. It's not gonna, we're not going to look at them all. I gave you a whole list of them there in your notes. And I'll just, just hit a few things here. Daniel saw it. Isaiah saw it and, sp- and spoke about the wolf lying down with the lamb. Matthew, this is where Jesus speaks of Him returning with His angels. Jesus says He'll prepare a place for us. Jesus, when He ascended into heaven, angels came and said, why are you looking up in the sky? This same Jesus is going to return in the same way. All of the, all of the writers of our New Testament, they look forward to Jesus returning. This is not some pie in the sky, some little thing we're kind of hoping on, like wishing on a rainbow, or buying a lottery ticket, maybe I'll get lucky. No, this is truth. The Lord Jesus is going to return. This is the end game. And I want you to see it in all of its detail, in all of its splendor, as God in His Spirit has shown us what this looks like. You'll find it in Revelation chapter 5. You want to turn there because you're going to stay there. Okay? Revelation chapter 5 is where we're going to to camp out today. We're going to see what this return looks like. And more than that, how do we celebrate Jesus Mm. and what He finishes and what is pictured for us here in Revelation chapter 5. Let me read it to you. Verse number 1. This is John writing, okay? Four and five are a unit. Oh, I wish that we could just take like ten weeks and just preach through chapters 4 and 5. So much here. Four and five are a unit. We're going to just take chapter 5 today and we're going to look at it in some detail. John here says, Then I saw in the right of Him who was seated on the throne... A scroll. This one seated on the throne is God. John has been given a vision here. Okay, It's anthropomorphic. What that means is we are seeing God given in terms and ways that man can understand. For instance, God is a spirit. He has no hand. But in this vision, God has allowed John to see the Lord portrayed in human terms. So God now has this scroll holding it in His hand. Okay? God has no hand. This is a picture because a picture is worth a thousand words, right? So that we can understand who God is and how He operates. I saw in the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? In my sort of mind's eye, I hear this this question being asked over and over, you know? It's like, and it's rising like with a crescendo as it gets louder and louder and more forceful, waiting for this answer. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And John says, I began to weep. He didn't just weep. It says he weeps loudly. This is a word that means it's the overwhelm with emotion. One place where this word is used is Jesus when He comes to Jerusalem 
and he sees all the people and he see, and he's and he's weeping there over Jerusalem. Same word. It's a, it's a very emotional word, weeping loudly. John breaks down now and laments. Why? Why? Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to him, Weep no more. Dry up your tears. Come on now. Look up. Behold the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David is conquered. So that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Oh, what a great... And you just expect to hear this lion roar, right? You know, it's like Aslan and you know, the, the whole Chronicles of Narnia. Roar! That's what we're expecting. Of course that's what you're expecting. You're John. You're having this vision. You're told the Lion of Judah is here. We read on. And between the throne and the four living Creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing. This word is actually the word for a young lamb. It's not a big lamb like the one we had at Easter, okay? It's a baby lamb, all right? It's a tiny little lamb standing as though it had been slain, had seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. What this is. When you read chapter 4 and you look at Isaiah 11, this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God. John recognizes the Spirit of God here with this Lamb. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne. So this Lamb now, appearing, it looks as if it's been slain. I don't know what this means. Does it have a gaping wound across its neck? Is it dragging itself across the throne room? We don't know. But it appears as if it has been slain. But it's not dead. The lamb, the baby lamb, is not dead. It goes to the throne. And it takes the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and the golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. They broke out in song and they said this, Worthy are you to take the scroll. See, this is a brand new song because it's never been sung before. This moment has never happened before. This moment hasn't really happened yet. You are now seeing something that has not occurred yet. This is coming in the future. Okay? You are having a glimpse now into the future. This is a crystal ball moment as the Spirit of God has allowed the Apostle John to see this, this, this climax of human history. This is it. And they're going to break out in song. And they're going to say, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands. That is a, that's an idiom that just means numer- you cannot number it. It's beyond number. Okay? John just says, un- innumerable angels worshiping, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain 
to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. And they said, to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Why did we start Centerpoint Bible Church? Was it because the youth pastor up the road got mad at his church and said, I'm starting my own? No, not at all. We have a great relationship with Independent Bible Church. I'm speaking at their anniversary dinner in November. Good friends. Was it we wanted to have our own little club where we could all gather together and just be best buddies? No. We did this because we want to reach people. Is it because we just want to reach people like us? You know, find a bunch of people that look like us, dress like us, talk like us? Is that what we want? No. We want people there. We planted Centerpoint Bible Church because we want to populate that room. God does it through His people. We want to see people that we know and love here in this community. And we want to see them there. We want to see them worshiping before the throne. Worshiping the Lamb of God. Worshiping the Lion of Judah. This is the end game. We must keep the end in mind. Because when difficulties come, when you have challenges here in this body, when you have difficulties in your life, when somebody makes you mad, when your spouse makes you mad, when things are a struggle, when you lose your job, when you lose your health, when your spouse loses their life, we need to have the end game in mind. We need to know where we're headed. We're headed to Jesus at a throne, receiving the kingdom. Now let's walk through and understand a little bit better, okay? starts out with the search for the worthy one. See it there? The search for the worthy one. That's verses 1 through about 4 or so, okay? So what happens is we're at the throne room of God, and there's a lot of strange things going on here. I know that. Remember, this is, this is a picture. This is, as you will, almost like a play that's being acted out for John to see, to understand what is coming, okay? And there in the throne, at the, on this throne is God. And on His hand, literally what it says, rather than in the right hand, it's literally on the right hand. So it's actually the right hand of God is here, and there's this scroll that's there. Now this is really odd to us, okay? But this would not have been odd at all to John. This was a very common thing in John's day. Almost any legal document took this form. It would be a scroll, okay? We'll call it paper, although it really wasn't. But it would be a scroll of paper, just like what you're imagining, okay? It's rolled up and so forth, all right? This would be all rolled up like this. You would have just like this column of paper. And on that paper, a legal document would often be, have seals upon it. And it was a very important document, like the last will and testament of a very rich man, of a very powerful person, it would have seven seals. Seven seals. There's nothing magical about the number seven. Okay, I'm not saying that. It was just seen as the number of completion. A lot like we are with a dozen. Okay, you get a dozen donuts. You ever thought about why we have a dozen donuts? Twelve? I don't know. Well, then it was seven. Seven seals. And so this document is sealed seven times. And what this means is nobody can open it. 
except the one who has the authority. It says it's written on the outside and the in. Again, very common in that day. Here's how it would work. You'd have a scroll, seven seals. On the outside would be a brief description of what's inside. I mean, imagine a rolled up piece of paper. You don't know what's inside. So it might be on the outside. You know, the last will and testament of Lowell McDonald. All right? And so now you know what's inside. So you can, if, you are, if you have the authority, you break those seals. In reality, though, let me be honest with you, it actually, you roll it, put a seal. Roll a little more, put a seal. Roll a little more, put a seal. Roll a little more, put a seal seven times. That's how it worked. Break a seal, open, read. Break a seal, open, read. If you have the authority to do it. Inside now is a description of how the owner of this property, the last one of the Testament is, how they want their belongings to be distributed. What they want to see happen. God is giving John and us a picture of what is going to happen. And if you want to know what it is, look at the verse number 1 of chapter 6. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. Picture this. Break a seal. Open a little bit. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice, Come. And I looked. Behold, a white horse. And then chapters 6 through 19 describe what happens as these seals are broken. And God now, this is what the Lord is doing. God is saying, I am now going to work on the earth in the greatest way I have ever done. It will be greater than the days of Moses. It will be greater than the days of Noah. It will be greater than any other work that I've ever done. I'm going to, in a way, God's going to take the whole earth and in His grace now, He's going to shake it. Wake up! Wake up! Turn to Me! And when we get shook... God is willing, He's calling mankind to look to Him. To look to Him. Look at, turn over a couple more pages. This is a really interesting verse. Go to Revelation chapter 10. Verse number 9. Here we have this scroll referenced again. And look what John says. Verse number 9 of chapter 10. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said, take and eat it. Now listen to this. And remember, this is, all, this is just a vision to understand a deeper truth. Now look at this. Eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth, it will be as sweet as honey. Think about that for a minute. God loves humans. Desires them to be saved. Humans love to craft new gods and worship them. And build towers to them. And build monuments to them. And depend upon them. God now is going to take the earth, figuratively now, and shake it. So all the monuments and all the, the, the buildings and all the structures that man has built come crumbling down to demonstrate that their gods are false. That they're nothing. And John is seeing this. And as he watches the destruction on the earth, he says, oh, it's bitter. It's bitter to my stomach. 
see people hurt, to see people struggle, to see people have challenges. It, I, don't like to, I don't like to taste that. But at the end of the day, God is winning people to Himself. And that tastes good. That tastes good. You see what God is showing us? In His grace, God brings trouble into people's lives. He does. To shake them up. To turn to Him. And if you're a spectator watching this, it's bitter. Oh, it hurt. Listen, you don't know how many times I hear people share with me their hurts. And I walk away and I ride down the road sometimes in tears over what people go through. Bitter. But I'm telling you, by the time I get home, it's sweet in my mouth. Because I know God's grace is going to be sufficient. You know why? There's a search for a worthy one. Go back to Revelation chapter 5. There's a search for a worthy one. All of heaven is looking for this curse to be broken. In order for the curse to be broken and sin to be defeated and Satan to be destroyed and for everything to be made right, there has to be one who can unveil God's plan. And so we're searching. Even this mighty angel is crying out for one who is worthy to open up. This title deed of the world is what this is. And John, as he, as he considers what are we going to do? Where will we find one? One who can open. He weeps. Can I ask you this? Do you weep? Do you weep over people who need Christ? John didn't just weep. He wept loudly. The people that we know who don't know Jesus... Are we broken for them at this level? Or have we become so callous and so hard-hearted that we don't feel it anymore? When God's Spirit works in a man, when God's Spirit works in a woman, and they consider the grace of God available to a lost and dying world, they are moved with emotion that acts. That moves to action. Listen, this is a call to Centerpoint Bible Church. There's a world around us who needs Christ. I want you to feel it. I want you to know it. I want you to feel it. And I want us to act. We've got to know that they need Jesus. We've got to know that without Christ, they spend an eternity separated from God in a place that's real, that's called hell. We've got to know that. We've got to feel it. That is from God's Spirit working in our hearts. We've got to feel it at an emotional level. We've got to see people who are in their sin, and their sin at times stinks. I know it. They're covered with the stench of their sin. I know that. We have to love them, have emotion for them, and then act. Act. Act on behalf of children who need to be grown up in Christ. Act on behalf of visitors who come to our church who see the sign now, and then so much hope pull in here and say, I saw the sign and I just wanted to come here. And they walk through those doors. They need you to greet them. They need you to say, come. We know Jesus. 
He wants to know you. God works in our hearts and we're moved with emotion and we act. And we do crazy things. Crazy things that just don't even, that's not even rational. Like leave our, our safe, cushy job to go do something to reach people for Christ. And some people get so out of their mind, they jump on a plane and fly to the other side of the world to reach people for Christ. Out of control. Their minds, what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. The same thing happened to John. John saw this truth, he felt this truth, and he acted. He's sitting on an island now, a a rock, literally a rock in the middle of an ocean, of a sea. And God's Spirit is coming and moving him to act and to record what we're reading right now. And we are longing with all the world to see this moment. Behold, verse 5, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Now what is that? That's a reference. I, get, I think I gave you the reference on your sheet. You can look it up. Genesis 49. Okay? This, is a, this is a prophecy given to the, the children of Jacob. Okay, One of them being Judah. And it says here that, listen to it, it says, Judah is a lion's cub. This is Genesis 49. From the prey, my son, you've gone up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. What this means is, God is promising that through the the people of Judah, the descendants of Judah, He would send a king, a lion. And the Jews knew what that meant. You ever wonder why they rejected Christ? Why did the Jewish people who had the Word of God, why did they reject Christ? Because they were looking for a lion. They were looking for a lion to come. They knew that a lion was needed. Things were so bad that there had to be a lion to come to destroy the enemies. And so here the, 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 the author, the, the author of this vision, says that, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is strength now. This is power. This is a conquering king. The root of David. David is seen rightly as the greatest king in Israel's history. And so this one would be a king like David. And he would, have, he would conquer, it says here. He would conquer and he would take this scroll. See, this is what was going to be required of this king. This king would have to come and rule with a lion's paw, okay? And a king's scepter. And would be powerful and conquering of all enemies. It's the Messiah we know our culture, our world needs. Is it not? This world needs a conquering king. And it will get one. But first, but first, it needs the lamb. Why the lamb? Why the lamb? Here's why. Oh, we want a lion. Oh, man, I love lions. I want the lion of Judah. And so do you. We want that lion to come and, and, you know, win the day for Jesus and stomp out those people who think differently than me. Right? That's what we think as we watch the news, as we read Drudge, as we, you know, click into CNN. Come on, lion. Come on, take them out. But that is nothing more than pride. That is stinking, arrogant pride. 
Because before the lion comes, Lowell, Lowell McDonald, needs the forgiveness of the lamb. See, in our arrogance, we think the lion must come and crush. But we don't realize if the lion comes first, we're under his feet. Crushed. First the lamb must come. Conquer sin. Conquer death. And that's what happens here. It looks as if it had been slain. Okay? Standing there. It's interesting, as I told you, just briefly, this is really interesting. This word lamb, as I told you, it's for a young lamb. Okay? You can read about it in Exodus chapter 12 what the, what, how, a, how this lamb was supposed to work. I heard this this week and it just really, it really struck me. When God gave directions to the children of Israel to how to sacrifice their Passover lamb, they would pick a lamb from the flock without blemish, the perfect lamb, the best they got, and they bring it into their home for four days. For four days. And I want you to picture your children. You ever seen a baby lamb? I mean, those things are cute. I'm telling you, you grab that thing up in your arm, you just snuggle your face down in it. They're awesome. For four days, the kids are playing with this lamb. Can the lamb sleep with me tonight? All right, your turn tonight, but tomorrow it's Johnny. They named the lamb, right? I mean, the kids would name the lamb for sure. They're feeding the lamb. They're petting the lamb. The lamb's sleeping with them. They got lamb stuff all over them, okay? And then after four days, the family now takes that lamb and sacrifices it. And every single eight-year-old child there watching their little baby lamb that they named, that they loved, that they cared for, die. And they realize the preciousness of the death of the Christ. This lamb, standing as though it had been slain, was the only one worthy to take the scroll and to open it. The one and only worthy one. And then just to close this out, the worship that occurs. Let's just, let's just look at this just quickly. The worship that occurs says, worthy are you to take the scroll. Now who's singing here? In verse 8, it's the living creatures. This is these four living angelic beings. Okay, they're described here. They're described in Ezekiel. They're described in Isaiah. I mean, this, this is over and over and over. The, when people see in the throne room of God, they see these creatures. And they're very odd. You can read about it in chapter 4. And the 24 elders are there. Elders is a word for the leadership of the church. So these are, these are God's ordained leaders. These, this, this, this body of people represents the church. It represents us. These representatives of, of God's bride are there. And there's not only them, but there's people from every tribe and language and tongue. See there in verse number 9? And they're all worshiping. They're all worshiping this lamb, this lion of Judah. 
people that look all different colors and, and speak different languages and from different... They're all there. They're all there worshiping. But I want you to see what's going on here. Verse number 10. For you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And above that it says, you ransomed people for God. The one we worship is worthy. The reason that we worship Him is because He has redeemed us from the curse, the problem. He's ransomed us as the people of God and made us priests now to our God. So let me tell you what man's problem is. Man's problem is not hunger, it's not thirst. Man's problem is not the need for shelter or clothing. Man's problem is not that we need to all get along and we all need to you know, raise communities as a village or we need to find the right elected leader and vote for the right person, put the right people in office. That's not the, that's not the answer. That's not our problem. The problem is our sin. And there's only one who could deal with that problem. He stands here as a lamb. When this process is done, the lamb will transition to the lion to draw all men, if it be their will now, if they'll come to him, to himself. Folks, this is the end. I've got a verse here I put up on the screen. We all need to recognize a truth. It says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. I'll pose a question for you. When you got saved, why didn't God just zap you right up into that throne room? Why not just the minute you get saved, God just does this supernatural work, okay? You know, like Enoch, you just go straight to heaven. Why not do that? I got news for you. In heaven, you can worship better. I love our praise team. The angels are going to do a better job, okay? In heaven, you will know more. There'll be no reason Pastor Lowell will be out of a job in heaven. There'll be no teaching of the Bible. There'll be no preaching of the Bible because all of us are going to know it completely. Looking forward to that. That I'll know all that God has. There'll be, so I can learn better in heaven. I can worship better in heaven. I can learn better in heaven. I can serve God in heaven better. You will serve the Lord in heaven. You will have responsibilities and you will have things that you do. And you, it'll be a joy You'll no longer have, your work will be cursed by sin. Won't that be great? No weeds in that garden. Those kids aren't going to fight back with you teachers, okay? You won't have a job anyway because you want to teach. But, you know, all those sin problems gone. I can serve better in heaven. Fellowship, better in heaven. All the things that you and I have against one another, gone. All right? We'll have better fellowship in heaven. I can worship better, I can learn better, I can serve better, I can fellowship better. Why not Zoom, zap us into the throne room of God? Because there's one thing, there's one thing you do better here than you ever do in heaven. Point. Unbelieving people 
to Jesus Christ and His Word. See the end. See the end. And act accordingly. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we worship You now. We long for more worshipers before Your throne. You are the Lamb. The Lamb of God. Who has taken away the sin of the world. God, let us respond to our call that we placed upon ourselves willingly. We've taken upon ourselves this call to point to You. We've received this as our mission to dedicate our life our every being, our every moment, our every thought to pointing to You, Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, allow this mission to be ours as we long and wait for You to come and complete this process. Lord, until then, we will point to You, the Lamb of God. It's in His name we pray. Amen.